if we have more supply than demand, then the market's in a down cycle. If we have more demand than supply, it's in an up cycle. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this show is all about cutting out that fluffy stuff and getting straight to the best advice ever that moves your business forward. And today is Sunday, and it's Skill Set Sunday. And as a result, we're going to focus on a particular skill. And we have with us a very accomplished and experienced researcher in real estate, and in particular, real estate markets. So the skill we're going to focus on is how to analyze a uh, real estate market cycle and really identify that cycle and where we're at in it. So with us today, like I said, we've got a very experienced guest, Dr. Glenn Mueller. How you doing, Glenn? Good. And a little bit about Glenn before we uh, before he talks briefly about his background is he has over 35 years of real estate experience in uh, 26 of that being in research. He's a professor for the Burns School of Real Estate and Construction Management at Denver University. His experience, his research experience includes real estate market cycle analysis, which is what we're going to talk about, among other things like real estate securities and analysis. He is an investment strategist at Dividend Capital Group, and he is also non-real estate related, a competitive water skier. The last thing I'll say, and again, this ties into the relevancy of our conversation today, he was awarded the Richard Ratcliffe Award by the American Real Estate Society based on his groundbreaking research on real estate market cycles. So if anybody's going to talk to us about how to acquire the analysis of real estate market cycles, it's going to be this gentleman. So with that being said, Glenn, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Sure. I've been in real estate my entire career, from bank loan analyst to builder developer uh, to PhD and investment uh, researcher for a number of different companies. Worked mainly on the commercial or income producing side of real estate and uh, continue to have one foot in the real world with my uh, 
strategy work at Dividend Capital as well as teaching. So, you know, uh, and my specialization is real estate market cycles. And in 40 years, I've been through five of them. All right. So let's talk about real estate market cycles. We'll, I'll give you a very open-ended question. How do we identify where the real estate market cycle is? Well, um, there's really two parts to the real estate cycle, if you will. The physical market cycle, which is demand and supply, and that drives occupancy rates and rental rates. And then the financial cycle, which is the price of real estate, which is really driven by capital flowing into or out of real estate, i.e. people buying or selling. So uh, let's start with the physical cycle, very local in nature and very property specific. So uh, we look at demand, uh, which really comes from employment growth. So if we've got good employment growth, we've got additional demand for real estate because every person that gets a job uh, needs space to work in. And then supply, obviously, is existing properties that are available as well as new properties being built. So when we look at the two of those together, look at how much demand and how much supply, if they're both growing at the same rate, the market's typically in balance. If we have more supply than demand, uh, then the market's in a down cycle. If we have more demand than supply, it's in an up cycle. And so if we look at the U.S. economy today, what we see is, and I'm going to use national averages here to start with, we see that uh, basically we've got employment growth. It's a little slower than previous recoveries. I actually think that's a good thing because it's more moderate and hopefully longer-term growth. So we, I think we're in a longer economic cycle, which means we'll be in a longer real estate cycle as well. So with those, with, with that in mind, you know, we're growing at a rate of on average 200,000 jobs every month. So we need uh, office space, retail space, industrial space that those people work in, as well as some apartments for those people that can't afford to buy. And then people travel to hotel space. So when we then look at the supply side, in 2013, we had the lowest amount of new supply growing in, on average in the United States in 43 years. So we've got moderate demand growth, but very moderate or low supply growth at this point in time, which is a good thing. So we're, in, in essence, in an up cycle. I actually characterize the real estate cycle in four, uh, four quadrants, if you will, a recovery, an expansion, a hypersupply, and a recession phase. Currently, office is still in the recovery phase of the cycle, while the other property types, apartment, hotel, uh, retail, uh, and industrial are in the growth phase of the cycle and doing fairly well. Uh, apartments at the peak, and I think it's about to go into the hypersupply phase, not because we don't have good demand growth, especially from the millennial generation as they come out of school, but we also, or we actually have a little bit too much supply going up. There's too many apartments in some cities that are going up. Now, that's kind of national average. Let's also get, uh, get to the fact that the cycle is very local in nature, so each property type and each city can be moving in different uh, at different points. So, for instance, Denver is booming with good demand growth for all the property types, but the offices in recovery, industrial at the peak, mainly because of our new uh, marijuana laws, all the old industrial space has been, been um, taken up with the growing of pot. And so there's very, very strong demand 
and not that much new supply. So industrial is uh, you know at a, at a peak growth, if you will, at this point. So we look at each of those different pieces of the puzzle, if you will, to uh, kind of figure out what's going on. A couple of follow-up questions. You mentioned the four quadrants, recovery, expansion, hypersupply, and what was the fourth? Recession. Recession, yes, the, the dirty word, recession. With the different types of real estate, so multifamily, office, industrial, is there a typical order that you'll see in markets? For example, you know, office comes first through those four, then multifamily, etc.? Well, again, it depends upon the demand and supply, and again, uh, local in each marketplace. So, if you will, when things turn down, hotel turns down first. When things turn up, hotel turns up first, mainly because it's you know least on a on a uh, you know one day at a time. Apartments which are which are yearly kind of follow, and then um, office, industrial, and retail, which have longer leases, typically take a little longer to. Uh, to kind of come through the cycle, but they can, you know, in each individual city, again, they should move fairly similarly, except for the fact that we've got too much supply. So for instance, in Denver, we've got really strong demand. We've got a lot of new jobs here. So, and a lot of people moving in, which is great. And all the property cuts are doing well, except apartment. We're putting up too many of them. We got 8,000 new jobs last year, but built 10,000 new apartment units. So that starts pushing apartments up, and over the top. And as a matter of fact, uh, last month, we just had the first, we've had four years of very positive rent growth, over 8% in Denver. Last month was the first time in eight years that we actually had apartment rents decline ever so slightly. How much should we pay attention to national numbers versus each local market? Local market is extremely important. So while the national Numbers are going to give you a little bit of a trend. The, the local market numbers are really going to be important. So, for instance, um, I'd definitely be interested in buying industrial in uh, places like um, Chicago or, Calif- or the, some of the California markets, but I wouldn't consider going into Norfolk, Virginia. So, um, they can be, so Norfolk, Virginia is still in recovery. Whereas, you know, California markets are very strong getting near peak. You mentioned there are two parts to a real estate cycle, both the physical and the financial. You've talked about the physical. You said financial is driven by capital in and out of the market. What else do we need to know about the financial aspect? So it is capital flow, the number of people coming in to buy properties that drive the uh, financial side of it or pricing, if you will. And, you know, real estate is just one of the alternative investments that anyone can make. And if we look at it, you know, compare it to the stock market, the bond market, et cetera, the stock market obviously today is pretty volatile. And that makes people somewhat nervous. Uh, Real estate, the fundamentals are good and moving up. It obviously doesn't have the same kind of price volatility. So what we see happening there is uh, real estate prices have been going up. And they look high on a historic basis. But when we compare them to the other alternatives, a lot of people will compare real estate because of income production for the bond market. If we compare it to the bond market, what we see is that the cap rate or cash-on-cash return when you buy real estate 
today is running in the 5 to 7% range compared to the risk-free rate of a 10-year treasury at 2. So you're getting anywhere from 300 to 500 basis points or 3 to 5% extra return for taking the risk of investing in real estate. If we look back historically, that spread, that extra return is actually pretty high. Back in, back in 2007, when the market was peaking, you're only getting 200 extra basis points over the 10-year treasury. So real estate looks really attractive as an alternative. And what we're seeing is more, uh, you know, more, more money coming in to buy real estate. Now, that said, it's definitely a market-by-market situation. The major markets in the country are doing very well, the the top institutional markets, mainly because they have uh, not just individuals buying, but institutional investors, pension funds and endowments, and foreign investors coming in to buy properties. So in those markets, like in New York City, you're seeing office buildings trading in a 4% cap rate or a 4% yield, which seems really high. But to someone from London, where London office buildings only have a 2% cap rate or yield, um, it looks like a really good deal. So one of the things in my now coming close to four decades of working in this industry is that you know it used to be that in the 70s, pretty much all real estate deals were local buyer, local seller, local bank. In the 80s, the institutions came in and started buying real estate. In the 90s, real estate got access to the public capital markets through uh, REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts on the equity side, and CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed securities, the debt side. And that obviously has changed the uh, marketplace dramatically. And now, since 2000, all of a sudden, we have all these global investors coming in, and they're helping to keep prices up and you know, my recommendation today is if you're buying real estate, you know, you want to lock in the longest loan you can get. And in commercial, it's normally only 10 years. You want to lock in the longest loan you can get because you're getting a very low interest rate. You know, you're getting a sub four mortgage rate, you know, when you're getting a six or seven yield. So you got many years of, of low of a low interest rate loan, but the potential of rising income as you raise your rents and increase your occupancies on your properties. When we look at all of this from an analysis standpoint, if we're identifying a market that we want to invest in, then what are some resources that we can use to come up with data points that we need to make a decision on if we're going to invest in a market? Okay. Well, getting, getting information in real estate used to be very difficult today, much easier because there's a lot of different data sources out there. Probably the largest and best known is CoStar. And uh, CoStar collects information on uh, over 100 markets in the United States today in all five of the major property types. And they have occupancy rates, uh, rental rates, absorption rates, and all the other key statistics that you would need to look at from that standpoint. So if you're working with a commercial broker, many times they'll have a CoStar account and can get you some historic information as to what the trends have been and then you know you can kind of figure out where the market is in the cycle at this point in time, and then looking forward, if you think the economy is going to continue to do well, and there's going to be continued uh, employment growth, and you don't see too many cranes, 
then, you know, pretty good possibility of the market continuing to move up. With the physical and the financial, physical, does it, and I'm, I know I'm going to grossly simplify this and you're probably going to slap my hand over through the microphone, but I'm still going to say, does it boil down to the physical cycle just as far as the demand and the employment growth? And so identifying, just looking up how that employment growth is going, how it's gone historically, and then the diversity of it? Right. And uh, you, your last word was an important one, diversity. Basically, every city has industries that drive the growth of the city, okay? and they're called economic base industries. So an economic base industry produces a good or service that it exports outside of the local community and therefore brings money in that helps to grow the city. And uh, let me see if you understand the concept. What do you think the economic base industry of Detroit, Michigan is? Uh, well, I know what it used to be. <laughs> right. Automobiles. So if the auto industry is doing well, Detroit's doing well. Every city tries to diversify their economic base industries and get more. And as a matter of fact, Detroit just got a big medical industry company to, to move in and start taking up some space, uh, which it didn't have before. Uh, pharmaceutical, I believe, producer. But, you know, if you look at things like, you know, New York City is obviously the financial industry. Then you need to look at the major companies that are in that industry and how they're doing. So that drives the demand growth. You also have to look at supply and say, is there a lot of new product being put up in the market? But basically, demand is is the number one key driver and supply should follow it. But if you want to look historically at any market, like my market cycle analysis, I look at the occupancy levels, which is just the inverse of vacancy, to figure out where the market is in the physical cycle. Because if your occupancies are up, that's going to drive your rents up. So occupancy rates will drive rents. As far as the financial, can we boil it down? And I know there's many factors, but can we boil it down to the primary one being, and I'm less confident about this one, the number of transactions per market, because you said it's driven by capital in and out? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So watching, if you can watch transaction volume, that's going to help. And that's certainly one of the ways that we look at it. So more transactions, typically means higher prices, and when transactions start to fall off, prices normally start to flatten and then decline. Got it. What type of newsletters are you subscribed to that you get on a regular basis in your email? Well, no, I get uh, information from the data services, so uh, CoStar is one that's very important to me. Uh, on, the, on the capital side, on the, on the financial side, there's a company called Real Capital Analytics, which is rcanalytics.com. And they monitor every commercial real estate transaction in the U.S. over $2.5 million and monthly track what's going on. So you can sign up to get their information on your particular city or go get every city in the country. It's kind of uh, you know up to you on that standpoint. Is there anything else as it relates to market cycle analysis that we haven't talked about that you think you should mention? No, uh, becoming a student of the market and uh, watching what's going on, I think, is the most important thing. Many commercial brokers will have information about what's going on in in their market and what occupancy levels are and where rents are going. And uh, those are, like I say, really the two key drivers because, you know, the uh, total return you get out of any investment you'll ever make in your life comes from two things, income and price appreciation. And income is driven by increasing occupancies and increasing rents, while 
prices are driven by the capital flow. Glenn, what's the best ever place for the listeners to learn more about you? Well, I have you know published a lot of different articles on real estate market cycles. Uh, you can look me up at uh, at the university at du.edu. They could also go and look at the American Real Estate Society website, which is ariesorg.net. And there, for instance, I've been, I was the editor of the journal Real Estate Portfolio Management. Many of my articles are in that journal. But if they just Google me, they'll, they'll get to see a lot of my uh, research. What was that URL again? It is A-R-E-S-O-R-G dot N-E-T. Got it. All right. Well, Glenn, very informative. Thank you for sharing your insight into identifying market, real estate market cycles and, and what to look for. As you said, you know, the two parts, learned a lot and to have a lot of notes. Some of the notes that I have is that there are two parts to a real estate cycle, the physical and the financial. With the physical, it boils down to the demand from employment growth. You want to take a look at the economic base industry and then see the companies that comprise of that, as well as look at the supply and compare that supply to how many jobs were growing um, or how, what the job growth for that market compared to the amount of, of properties that are being built. And in addition to that, the financial aspect of things, the number of transactions per market will be a good indicator. There are others, I'm sure, but that's one indicator. And then you mentioned the four quadrants for real estate cycles, um, which you know, best ever listeners have, have probably familiar with. The recovery, the expansion, the hyper supply, and then the recession. And then also, you definitely made a point of emphasis to say demand and supply is local in each marketplace. So it really depends on the different factors that are happening in that market. So thank you so much for being on the show and also sharing your resources that you use, CoStar, for the occupancy, the rental rates, and the absorption rates, as well as many other data points and on the financial side, real capital analytics. So thanks so much for being on the show and sharing this with us. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Have a great day. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office Podcast. The host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why you'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast is he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra wealthy into your business. The Family Office Podcast.